NFL Week 17 line moves and Zuma motivation appears to be the name of the game as we look at line moves so far in this week's betting market. Some teams in must-win mode to keep their playoff hopes alive. I'm even hearing some people talk about teams like the Texans being in must-lose mode to protect their draft position. And then we've got other teams that are eliminated. Some teams very much not eliminated, but looking at the week 18 games, that will mean a lot more looking specifically at the Titans and Jags. So when it comes to all the different motivation angles and all the talk of motivation across this week's slate, just how much does that influence your own personal betting handicapping process? It matters a lot, especially when it comes to um, market timing, I would say. Um, for instance, we will not talk about the game, but let's, Let's just use the Jags against uh, Texans as an example. So uh, the Jaguars are currently laying minus four and a half at Circa, a soft minus four and a half at Quiz. And we still don't know whether the Jaguars will play all their starters slash take the game 100% serious because they will have their win and in game in week 18 against Tennessee. The winner of that game will win the AFC South. But there is still a path with a small probability for the Jacks to get into the wildcard round if they lose against Titans uh, against the Titans and win this week against the Texans. It's a it's a small chance, but they need something like um, Jets beating Seattle. Uh, sorry, Jets losing to Seattle. Jets beating Miami. Uh, Patriots um, beating Miami this week. Uh, Steelers losing. Uh, either of their next two games. That seems like a lot, but there is still a path, I would say, for the Jaguars to get into the wildcard round, especially when you consider that Tua Tagovailoa will likely not play this week and might be even out next week. So it's, it's, there is an extra incentive, in my opinion, for the Jaguars to take this game serious. We won't know uh, until maybe later today. Um, I think if they come out and say we will play all of our starters, this is a usual football game for us, we might see a little bit more Jacks money. But if they say that they might um, rest Trevor Lawrence, for instance, for the big Titans game, we will definitely see uh, some Texans money. And speaking of that big Titans game, not so big of a Titans game this week, kicking things off on Thursday night, Tennessee hosting Dallas. And we've seen the total hit pretty hard on this one, an opener of 42.5, down through a key number of 41, currently sitting at 40.5. Suma, aside from the fact that the Titans might approach this one more or less like a preseason game, anything else you see driving the under money early on in Cowboys-Titans? I think it's simply that um, we might be looking at a game state where the Cowboys jump out to a lead, and then they can sit on that because... With Malik Willis, I don't think that the Titans have crossed 17 points in either of their of their games. I could be wrong on that, but but I think that that was the the number. And it's not that it's just Malik Willis, but Derrick Henry might sit this one out with with his hip injury. There's probably not a great incentive to let a guy like Derrick Henry play when you are a 10-point underdog <coughs> uh, against the Cowboys. The Cowboys have all the incentives. They could still theoretically 
get to the uh, first seed or win their division um, with playing three days earlier than the Eagles and with the Jalen Hurts or with the ongoing Jalen Hurts injury. So there's a lot of incentive for the Cowboys to take this game completely serious and win this game. And on the other side, the Titans, Butler Pre, Jeffrey Simmons uh, did not practice. Uh, Derrick Henry might be out. Danico Audrey, Christian Fulton, Manny Hooker, all limited. And those guys will be very important next week against the Jaguars because two weeks ago with a banked up secondary, the Titans got absolutely trounced by the by the Jaguars. So they need all those pass rushers and secondary guys healthy. And from that point of view, I would probably make the, the business decision of um, sitting every important key player who is somehow banked up. Probably not too many business decisions we'll see in the first Sunday game. We'll speak to the Panthers at the Bucks. Both teams really in it to win it this time around. Tampa Bay opened a three and a half point favorite. And we're seeing this one all the way down to a soft minus three for Tampa Bay. Seeing some minus 105s attached to the minus three prices for the Bucks. Suma, any chance this one crosses all the way through the three? Or do you think we're looking at about the price floor for Tampa Bay as they get ready to host the Panthers in a huge NFC South showdown? Yeah, I don't think that this will get towards uh, three and a half. This almost touched two and a half. It was basically some form of 2.75. Now we saw a little bit more bucks money today in the morning. I think three is probably a good market number and we might see at some point um, some more Panthers money rather than uh, bucks money bringing this to minus three and a half. That's, that's my read on the market. The Buccaneers are just so, so bad on offense. Um, and I don't buy that the Panthers' offense is suddenly good because it's a very small sample size and they have not looked very good against the Steelers two weeks ago. They've played very well against the Lions and Seahawks defenses. And with Sam Donald, they rank second in EPA per play since he's back. But I'm, I, this is also something that should regress to the mean sooner than later. The Bucs have a strong defense. So there's, there's a a lot of logical reason why the Bucks are still laying a field goal against a, a up-and-coming Panthers team, but this could very well, with a low total, be a hard-fought divisional battle, and I would expect the market to bounce around that three, maybe some Panthers money, some Bucks money back, um, th this kind of game until Sunday. Speaking of the market bouncing around, as we look at Saints-Eagles, Philadelphia opened a six-and-a-half-point favorite, Shot up to seven, back down to six, got back up to seven yesterday. And as we hit record, tricked, excuse me, ticked back down to Eagles minus six and a half. Suma, what do you make of this one? Just a bit of a, a ping pong on and off of that key number of seven is the Eagles get ready to host the Saints. Maybe there was some someone uh, before the show front running any potential uh, Gardner Minshew slash Jalen Hurts news, but we will not know until later today. Eagles are also dealing with a few injuries like Lane Johnson, CJ Gardner Johnson, uh, Johnson Gardner Johnson still out, the last of Wanta Maddox, and John Davis. So they're dealing with some injuries. We won't know whether Jalen Hurts is going to play this week. So right now, six and a half is probably somewhere in, in no no man's land because I think with a with a healthy Eagles team, that number should be higher. But with the definite stance on Gardner Minshew playing, um, I would not be shocked if there's a, a little bit more Saints money later in the week. 
Um, we also don't know about the final Eagles injury report. I could imagine that everyone who got injured against Dallas uh, against Dallas might not play. So just a classic wait and see injury type of game. And we've seen a more decisive market movement when it comes to the Bears at the Lions. Detroit opened a five-point favorite. That's up to six, seeing one market-making offshore even shaded towards six and a half. The total has also been hit from an opener of 51 up to 52. Suma, any insight on the Lions and over money we've seen as they host the Bears on Sunday? That's, that's a very interesting game because I think that some folks will have this game power rated lower than, than six or potential six and a half. But on the other side, we also have some downside slash upside for, for, for Lions betters with the Justin Fields injuries. He got stepped on his foot on the final play against Bills and he was not able to put any weight on, on that foot. Um, after the game, and I also read that he um, banged up his shoulder once again early in the game. And when you look at the box score, he only had seven rushes the whole game when there were 22 miles per hour of wind. That was pretty weird to see. So there must be something going on with Justin Fields' health. And I think it makes sense if you downgrade your Bears number or adjust towards the Lions considering that Justin Fields might not get the full workload on the ground against the Lions. And that would take away a serious element of that offense. And that would probably make it, um, or would make the market move more towards Lions. We saw this move yesterday from five and a half to minus six. We will know more about Justin Fields later today. Maybe he's full and, that, and there's no reason for concern. But I've also found this interesting that the total has moved. Because with the Lions moving closer towards a touchdown favorite, I would expect that the total is not seriously correlated because if the Lions be become a greater favorite, if there is some potential Justin Fields news or Justin Fields injury concerns, we would expect the total to move towards the under rather than the over. So that was a pretty interesting move to monitor and we'll just know more later today when injury news and practice reports come out. Plenty to monitor, not only with the quarterback situation for Chicago, but also with Miami as they get ready to take on the Patriots in New England. Patriots opened a one-point underdog, currently seeing them anywhere from minus three at even money to minus two and a half at minus 115. A lot of that, of course, has to do with Tua Tagovailoa's status. Suma, it seems pretty likely that we're going to see Teddy Bridgewater under center for Miami. If and when that news becomes official, where do you think this line settles? I think it will probably settle around a minus three for the Patriots um, because every time there was a different quarterback other than two attack by lower in the game, whether it was Skylar Thompson or Teddy Bridgewater, that offense really took a hard hit. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is probably not the worst backup in the league, but behind that offensive line, and he doesn't have the skill set like Tua, who's really good at, at the quick quick game stuff, anticipating where the open space is going to be, where routes are going to develop uh, against zone coverage, and then getting the ball quickly within, let's say, 2.4, 2.5 seconds. That's something that is not really Teddy Bridgewater's skill set. So even though Bridgewater might be a decent backup in general, he's probably 
That's my assumption from watching him play in that offense this season. He's probably not suited to one-on-one -on -one copy the role of Teddy Bridgewater. So that would be a significant downgrade, um, even though Tua has not played well lately. And we have seen defenses adjust a little bit towards the strength of the Dolphins passing game. And if there's one defense in the league and one guy in the league who is probably best suited to attack opposing strength or take away some of the opposing strength is probably Bill Belichick. So we could be looking at a game with two limited offenses. And on the other side, there's just the pass defense that is a two or three tiers better than the Dolphins defense currently. So that would make a lot of sense to me if this settles somewhere around the minus three for the Patriots. As you touch on the prospect of two limited offenses in that matchup, looks like some limitations will be lifted for the Jets offense as we look ahead to the late window on Sunday. Jets at Seattle, and it looks like it's going to be Mike White back under center for the Jets. And based, I think, largely on that news, we've seen this one move from an opener of Pickham to Jets as high as minus two and a half. That has come back a bit. Currently, Jets minus one and a half. Sumo, what do you make of your Jets being a one and a half point favorite at Seattle? There were rumors last week that Mike White would be back for the Seattle game, but we didn't have any final confirmation that he would be cleared in time. So um, I guess that the market opened, opened with the assumption that it's 50-50 between Zach Wilson, or maybe Joe Flacco or Chris Traveller, and Mike White. And then the news came that Mike White would play against Seattle then the the market got taken off the board at some places and then we open around minus two minus two and a half um yesterday i think we had a, a service release on the on the seahawks that took some of the two and a halves out of the marketplace and now we are looking at a minus one and a half minus two like you said um i think seattle is dealing with a cluster injury at at their receiving group right now um, Tyler Lockett is coming off his hand surgery. I don't know whether he can be able to play this week. Marquise Goodwin is likely out. Will Disney is on IR. The Seahawks one game is not working. And we all already saw that they perform very poorly and, and their offense overall is declining over the past couple of weeks. And then they had a very poor outcome against a Chiefs defense that is worse than the Jets one. So with Mike White, new life into the offense, a guy who can execute the offense much better, a great defense against a declining Seahawks offense, which in, uh, as a result to me makes perfect sense why the Jets would be favored on the road here. What do you make of a service release at a number like plus two and a half, knowing there's such asymmetric risk involved if we just wait unlikely but possibly see a three that could make all the difference in the world whereas two and a half taking down to plus one and a half not such a significant move it strikes me as a little bit surprising that a service would release so early in the week on a number like plus two and a half when you might be best off just waiting to see if a three appears i mean it's not my business in the end so <laughs> i can't speak for anyone out there me personally when a market is at two and a half i would rather wait for a potential plus three and risk missing out on the plus two and a half than um, betting the, the, the two and a half. But uh, that's just me. And um, maybe someone out there knew that that was never going to, to plus three for some specific reasons. Maybe he knew that a, a another big group would um, come in anyway and, and bet all the two and a half available. We don't know what, what was going on there, but 
as, as a rule of thumb, me personally, I would rather wait a little bit more, uh, see where the market goes instead of um, rushing to take the two and a half. But again, I don't know what those reasons were. Yeah, it's a bit of a cat and mouse game sometimes. It's not just what you personally would bet, but how you have to handicap the market in addition to yeah. some of the matchups we discussed. So always love getting that peek behind the curtain when possible as we do these shows each week. And Suma, another game that the market has been heavily involved in early on in this week's betting cycle, the Vikings at the Packers. And the total in this one has been hit quite hard toward the over. An opener of 45 and a half moved up to 47. And we weren't done yet. Currently, we're looking at 49. So a three and a half point move toward the over for Vikings, Packers. What do you make of this big wave of money toward that over, Suma? Yeah, I think in hindsight, especially in hindsight, that opener of 45 was a little bit too low for these two, two teams. Um, it moved up towards 47, 47 and a half. Then we had another service release, uh, or let's not call it a service. I'm sure enough is not running a, a technically a service right now, but he released the over on the Vikings and Packers. He called, uh, I think he called Vikings a dead not over team, which makes perfect sense because their offense always has the upside to score. They're not consistent. They are not great in terms of efficiency metrics, but they always have the upside of being capable of scoring. And the Vikings defense is very, very bad in my opinion. So as soon as they um, touch against or play against a team that might be able to move the ball, it probably makes sense to look uh, to rather look at the over than the under in general. And with this matchup, the Packers rank, I think, fourth or something in offensive DVA since week 10. Um, their offense got a lot better over recent weeks. It's not the same Packers offense that we saw in week one that got beaten 27 by the Wikes or something like that. They were missing both starting tackles. Um, Christian Watson had this crazy drop early on. Um, they were missing a few receiving options. And now we are potentially looking at a healthy Packers offense that got much better over the course of the season, playing against the Vikings defense at home. Uh, probably, and there are also minus three and a half favorites right now, or a soft minus three and a half. And on the other side, the Packers' run is very bad. They are first in pass DVOA their defense since week eight, which was very surprising to me. At least from the eye test, I thought that would make a lot of sense, but they also didn't play the, the strongest schedule in general. But I think it's in general a Packers defense that can be scored on. So yeah, um, I also had a lean on the over at 47. And I think um, with, with the release, the market rather move in, in the right direction, in my opinion. One more divisional matchup to touch on. A game flexed into Sunday night. The Steelers at the Ravens. Baltimore open minus four, and that's down to minus three. Even a soft minus three at some books, shaded toward two and a half at some of the sharper shops. Suma, beyond the status of Lamar Jackson, what do you think this line move is telling us between that classic bruising matchup between Pittsburgh and Baltimore? I think that the move is telling us that the market leans towards um, Tyler Huntley playing. I would also lean towards that um, because um, with that PCL sprain that Lamar Jackson had, he was not able to practice once since that sprain. So it probably makes it a lower probability of him practicing in a, let's say, decent capacity and start this week. And also... Let's be honest, there is not a lot of incentive for the Ravens to play him. 
because the Ravens are have already made the playoffs. Um, there's still a small chance that they can win their um, division, but I don't think that you risk your star quarterback for the playoffs when he's not 100% healthy just for a small chance to win the division. I just don't think that, that the Ravens would make such a business decision would make such a business decision. So I'm leaning towards Tyler Huntley playing. And when we look at the first game, it, I think it was two or three weeks ago, um, the Steelers closed minus two, minus 106 at quiz. And that was with some uncertainty around Deontay Johnson and TJ Watt. They were both popping up with did not practice on, on a Thursday. Then I think they were limited on, on Friday. And then there was a small concern that TJ TJ Watt might not be 100%. Same with Deontay Johnson. And that also um, triggered a market move, I think, on that Thursday. And then the Ravens with Tyler Huntley closed minus two, minus one or six. They lost the game 14 to 16 with interceptions from Mitchell Trubisky, who replaced Kenny Pickett like at some at some point in the first quarter. Trubisky threw interceptions at the Baltimore 10, 8, and 1 yard line. The Steelers also missed a field goal, and they still only lost by two points. Kenny Pickett surprisingly um, uh, ranks 10th in EPA per play since week 10. Yes, it's a small sample size, but that Steelers team in general has been playing really good, and they have also been some kind of a covering machine since... since um, uh, week 10 or something. And yeah, um, I think if there is going to be positive news on Huntley slash negative news on Lamar Jackson, I think this uh, will close below a, a field goal. All right. So we might have just covered Fabian's forecast coincidentally there. Sounds like you wouldn't be surprised to see more Steelers money enter the marketplace if and when it becomes official <laughs> that it's Huntley under center for Baltimore. You had also touched on the Saints possibly getting another influx of money as that line has ticked from seven to six and a half as we've been recording. Also, the Lions, a team to watch for pending any Justin Fields news. They might not be done getting steamed. Suma, any games we haven't touched on yet or anything else that you're particularly watching over these next few days between now and kickoff? Uh, let me check. Um, one interesting game are... Uh... Let's talk about a game where we see little market movement, uh, but we got a news today. Um, Carson Wentz is going to play with the Commanders. I think after Sunday, we all um, would have leaned towards Carson Wentz, but we, we didn't have any final confirmation until this morning. And after Ron Rivera came out that Carson Wentz would play, the market across the, across the board basically didn't budge at all. Uh, Bet online and Low Vic touched like two cents toward the commanders. Uh, Pinnacle came, uh, took the market off the board and then they reopened it at the exact same price. So overall, there was basically, and DraftKings um, even took a little bit of Brown's money. So um, across the board, it was basically a wash and um, no reaction from the betting markets. So I think we can say that the market is not making any difference between these two quarterbacks. Circa opened at minus two, moved towards minus two, uh, two and a half on Monday, came back at uh, came back to two, and then it stayed there since th this very minute. So, yeah, <laughs> very interesting that a team announces a quarterback change and the betting markets just don't care who's going to play quarterback. 
Yeah, and when it comes to that Browns-Washington matchup, if you're going to have to watch it, you might as well do so with some hops in hand to ease the pain of some quarterback (laughs) blunders that look quite likely given that matchup. So, Jacob, let's kick it off with you. It sounded on last week's Friday show like you had quite the lineup for your Christmas festivities. What was your highlight in the hoppier side of things over this past week? The highlight? um, I don't think there was any, like, just specific highlight for beer. Like I spoke about last week with the Bellwoods Brewery Jelly King. I guess that was one that was quite nice to enjoy over the holiday period. Also, one that I spoke about um, probably a couple of months ago now, uh, Smirnoff releases a peppermint vodka special for the holiday season, and that goes really well with hot chocolate. So that's a really good kind of Christmas-style drink to kind of get you in the mood for all, all those activities that you'd have there. And um, I, I think that one goes a bit under the radar. It sounds like something that wouldn't work with peppermint vodka and like hot chocolate, but it absolutely does work. And I encourage anybody who uh, is thinking about it, I encourage them to try it. All right. And I will go with one that worked very well for me that we discussed on our Festivus Friday episode with Hitman last week, a beer called Strengthened Joy. As a refresher for everybody, this is by my favorite brewery, Green Cheek Beer Company out of Orange, California. And Strength and Joy is a double dry hopped, hazy, triple IPA, 10% ABV. So, yes, we're talking quite the big beer here, Citra and Motuika hops. It was citrusy with a nice full body, dangerously smooth, given that double digit ABV. And beyond the beer itself, I was able to enjoy it finishing my can while watching Tampa Bay finish off Arizona in overtime. And that cashed a teaser that I had pending. So after a full day with my wife in Yosemite National Park, that was just the ideal way to come down from just about an ideal Christmas day. So strength and joy definitely hitting the spot on my end. Suma, how was your Christmas? How were your holiday drinking festivities? Oh, I had a lot of beers over the um, uh, three days. Um, basically, a selection of different pilsners. Like um, I had Feltins. Um, don't know whether you guys know that name. It's a pretty common pilsner I- in Germany. I also had Konig Pilsner, and I also had Furstenberg. That's I think from Bavaria, but but I don't know exactly. So it was, it, it was basically three days of uh, several kind of pilsners. And I also had um, two different uh, kinds of uh, whiskeys. One was a Glenfiddich Glen uh, 12 years, years old. And then one of my Christmas gifts was a whiskey from Switzerland. And Switzerland mm-hmm. is uh, joining the, the whiskey business. And I got a whiskey. I forgot the name now. But it's a whiskey that is um, finished in a beer cast, which is pretty interesting. And it was a taste that I never had before, like like a completely different whiskey taste from like uh, Ireland, Scotland, or even the United States. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I will have the, I will have the name next week uh, for sure. Yeah, I want to follow up on that because Swiss whiskey sounds like a new one to me. But if it's, you know, opening your eyes and bringing something new to the table, there's always room for that in this space. So glad to hear it. Sounds like a pretty nice Christmas gift. And on that note, as we look ahead in this window between Christmas and New Year's, we will wrap up shop. Want to encourage everybody to follow Suma on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. You can also find me there at MLandis18. Thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Jacob and I will be back on Friday with Hitman for our NFL Week 17 prop betting breakdown. I'm